Amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, Mason, do you mind, um, or Brooke, one of the two? It's just dirt. It's like a dirt clot or clot, whatever you call it, dirt thing. All right, guys. Well, um, good to be back. Uh, good to uh, be able to jump back into uh, the Gospel of Mark with you guys. If you uh, look underneath your sheet or underneath your chairs, you'll find sheets with uh, the, the notes that we're going to be going through tonight. Um, so you can grab those. Make sure your pen works. If it doesn't, there's plenty of chairs with pens um, that you can... Uh, um, find a pen that works probably close to you. Um, so let me ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever been on a road trip? Yeah. Disney. Okay. Where, where else have people gone? Florida. 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 Where else? Indiana. 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 Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg. Michigan. Washington. Okay. 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 So, so everybody's been on, everybody's been on some sort of a road trip. Now, can you guys remember being on that road trip and finally reaching the state? Now, that doesn't count Gatlinburg, um, but reaching the state that you were going for. You guys remember that? Yeah, seeing that sign makes you happy. Yes, seeing that sign makes you super happy, doesn't it? North Carolina, the North Carolina sign. The North Carolina sign makes you real happy. Um, I'm going to show you my favorite state sign, okay? This is the most glorious state sign. This is the most glorious state sign that's ever been created. All right, it's the it's the it's the state sign that I've gotten the most excited about um, ever for any state sign. No, it's Colorado, people. Come on now. Okay, you should know me well enough to know that this would be my favorite state sign. Okay, but it's colorful Colorado, not colorful Colorado sign. Okay. Anyways. So I remember going on a road trip with my bride, Erin, um, which I don't know where she's at right now, um, which is kind of, oh, she's outside. Okay, at least I, I needed to quiet my heart because I was like trying to, I was kind of worried. I didn't know where she went. Um, okay, thank you, Quentin. Um, okay, so I remember taking a road trip with my wife, and I call like Oklahoma and that Midwest region of the country the Great Wall of Boredom um, between us and what is most beautiful, um, Colorado. Now, I don't, I'm not hating on anybody who lives in Oklahoma or Texas or wherever, okay? Don't, don't hear me hating on people. But if you've ever driven that, if you've ever driven that and driven through Oklahoma, it is just flat as, like, flat can be, and you're driving literally for, like, 10 hours, okay, to get across this state, and it just feels like eternity. And then finally, you're thinking to yourself, like, like I'm almost there. And then there's probably still more three hours to go, you know. And then you're like, okay, I, I'm surely almost there because this is the flattest state ever and I just want to be out of the state. And then you still got another three hours in front of you, okay. It doesn't really take 18 hours or 16 hours to get through it, but it feels that way. And then you come up to, you start seeing it off in the distance, you see the sign, and you're thinking to yourself, could that be? Because it doesn't even look like a normal, like, welcome to Florida state sign or something like that. But you start getting closer and you realize, yes, it is. It's the promised land. Colorado is in front of me, right? And so when I see this sign, um, when Aaron and I were driving out there, uh, we would stop at these signs, especially Colorado, um, and we would take pictures at them because we're super excited about it, right? Like we're so glad that Oklahoma is behind us. No offense to Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma is behind us and Colorado is here, okay? 
I did not take this picture. I could, I, okay, honestly, I got this off of Google, but um, I, we took a picture with this sign, and I should have just gone through our pictures and gotten them because I actually thought about that today. I was like, man, I should have gone through the pictures and gotten some pictures of us actually in Colorado because that's going to fit well with what I'm talking about tonight, but I didn't. You can just believe me that we were there, okay? Um, so we get there. We get out. We're excited. Um, actually, you know what? Rewind. I'm, 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 I'm misremembering. Okay, this is what happened. We drove through the night through Oklahoma. Aaron was asleep when we passed that sign. So I drove past it. I did not take a picture at it, but we did take pictures in Colorado. I remember we got all the way to Denver before I like had to wake her up um, because of the mountains. Anyways, that is beside the point. What the point is, is that how ridiculous would it have been how ridiculous would it have been if we had gotten like all the way to Colorado, we saw the sign and we're like, this sign is awesome. It's made of wood, probably from Colorado. And it's big and it's awesome. And I can stand next to it and I can take pictures with it. And then we can show it to everybody at home. Maybe it's better that I didn't take a picture with it. And then we can show it to everybody at home. It's going to be so exciting. I'm so glad to be in Colorado. And then get in the car and turn around and come back. Right. That would make no sense whatsoever. None whatsoever. Exactly. What? So that's the point, right? That would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. If you make it to the sign, the sign is not Colorado. The sign is pointing towards Colorado. It's on the, 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 um, the border saying that Colorado is in front of you. So it would be ridiculous for us to drive to the sign, get excited about the sign, and then drive back home. And yet, tonight, what we're going to look at is people doing the exact same thing except in the spiritual realm. We're going to look at people who see a sign and either completely miss the sign due to the fog around them, or they get super excited about the sign and totally miss what the sign was there for. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, starting in verse 1. We're going to be looking at this passage. Okay, now, Jesus, um, if you remember the passage that we just talked about, was Jesus uh, cleansing the leper, reaching out and touching him, um, and and healing the leper. Um, And you remember that Jesus was in Capernaum, um, who... Tell me some things about Capernaum. We've talked about it quite a bit. Tell me some things about Capernaum. Anything? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the hub of Jesus' ministry. Um, what lake was it on? Yeah. Yeah. Sea of Galilee. Okay. It's technically a lake. Like, I mean, they call it Sea of Galilee, but like it's, it's fresh water. Um, and so what was the primary business around this area? Fishing. Okay. And so, so Jesus, whose house, whose house was in uh, Capernaum that was really important? Peter. That's right. So Peter's house was in Capernaum. And you remember the last time that Jesus was in Capernaum, he uh, was in the synagogue, he was teaching with authority, healed somebody, went back to his house, and then that evening everybody came to him from the, uh, from the town to be healed. And there was tons of people that came, and then Jesus left early in the morning. He went to a desolate place to pray, and then his disciples come and find him because they're like, everybody's looking for you. And he's like, I must go on um, because I've come to preach to all the surrounding region. And so he didn't go back to Capernaum. But now we're, we're, we're entering back into Capernaum, okay? So you have to paint that picture first because Jesus is already known here first. But second, people were excited about Jesus, okay? And we'll see here in a second um, how they respond. Um, and it's interesting uh, to see how Jesus enters in. So uh, let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, And when he, Jesus... Uh, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. Okay, 
So more than likely that home is the same home that we looked at. Um, Peter's home um, is more than likely where they were at. Um, and something, if you guys remember the picture that I showed you uh, from a first century uh, house um, in that region, that a lot of times it was flat roofed, okay? And there were steps that went up to the flat roof. Um, and that's important because of what's about to happen here, okay? So imagine Peter hanging out again. This is a familiar scene. They've done this before. Jesus was there in that evening time when a bunch of people came and saw him. And you remember the amazement of everybody around because they're like, we've never seen anything like this. And he teaches with authority. And he's healing people right and left. And then finally he uh, gets a little bit of shut eye and then leaves early in the morning to pray. So that's the last time that we were in this house. And so he comes back um, and and he enters into the house and and I find it interesting that, the, like, word got out. It's almost like that Jesus wanted to just kind of lay, like, lay low, you know? And then word gets out that Jesus is back home. And people freak out. And they come. A lot of them come. So much that if you can imagine that house being standing room only, okay? Has anybody ever been to a concert, like, in the general admission where it was standing room only? Yes. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about here, where we're like everybody's just kind of crammed in there so much so that it's blocking the doorway. You can probably imagine some people at the back of the doorway like trying to like get up on their tippy toes to actually see what's going on inside. Um, it says here uh, that Jesus, here in a second, will say that Jesus is preaching. Um, he was definitely preaching. He could have been uh, healing at this point. He was probably, from what the text says, he was preaching. And then um, here in a second, you'll see that the paralytic is brought to him. Um, but let's just talk about this for a second. So Jesus came back to Capernaum. Um, his ministry headquarters, uh, like what Anna said. So that's the first uh, first blank on your sheet. <clears throat> and when word got out that Jesus was back in town, the crowds came like they did last time. So tons of people. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to go too fast for you. All right. So first point. Jesus was back in Capernaum, his ministry headquarters. I think that the blank is Capernaum. I'm sorry. I should have given you more time because that's not something that you know how to spell. Yeah. Okay. So you're like doing one letter at a time. Okay. So he's back in Capernaum, um, and that's his ministry headquarters. And then the second one is when word got out, Jesus was back in town. The crowds came like they did last time. Okay? The crowds came like they did last time. Standing room only, people. General admission. Like Jesus is back in town. All right? You probably could have sold tickets to this thing. Yeah, kind of like that. Like, people are just, like, really, really excited, okay? And so they come, um, and then this is what happens. And they came bringing, um, and this is Jesus' response to faith, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, remember, standing room only, it's already said that, like, the door's clogged, okay? They removed the roof above him, Okay? And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay. So, yeah. In fact, you're hitting on the next point, so I'm just going to go to it. That is dedication. I called it passionately committed. But yes, dedication. Okay, I find it so fascinating that these four men aren't identified. Um, my immediate thought was uh, family members, and it could have been family members, or it could have just been really good friends, right? Or it could have been a mixture of both. It could have been some family members and some friends. It, but regardless, these four men were passionately committed to getting this paralytic to Jesus. Now remember that Jesus had already been there healing and casting out demons. 
So they believed that if they brought this man to Jesus, that Jesus could heal him. We aren't told how long he had been paralyzed. He could have been a long time. It could have been his entire life. It could have been a short while. But regardless, he was paralyzed to the point where he could not get to Jesus himself. And so these guys were passionately committed to bringing him to Jesus. And it's interesting that they're not named. And it's also interesting um, whenever you look at what Jesus saw, he saw their faith, saw their faith. And so that could be referring to the paralytic too, but it was definitely referring to the four um, that brought him. And it's interesting um, that, that it's, it's uh, um, worded that way, that it wasn't like the paralytic that he looked at him, he said, I saw, I, they, or he saw the paralytic's faith, he saw their faith, these four men. So in some degree, their faith in bringing him to Jesus was a part, played a part in his healing. Um, and again, we see that throughout the Gospels that there's a there's a um, um, an overlap of people having to have faith, right? That Jesus can do something, and of course, Jesus could do it regardless. But there was that 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 overlap oftentimes that we see that somebody either had lack of faith or they had the faith in order to be healed, and that Jesus was able to move in that way. Again, Jesus wasn't limited by people's faith, but it seems like that it um, played a part in this passage. So Jesus sees their faith um, again. Uh, more than likely the, the four men and possibly the paralytic as well. Um, so the houses back then um, had stairs normally on the outside and it would go up on the roof. Okay, There was actually stipulations in the Old Testament when you built a house that you had to put a ledge around the top of the roof so that people couldn't like, not. I mean, they could, they could fall off, but that it wouldn't be as easy to fall off because you would feel the ledge, right? Um, and so, so they climb up on the roof with this guy. Okay, you imagine that. All these people all around Jesus' house. The other thing that is just fascinating, again, for me to think about, is that because of the last scene, I immediately envisioned this at night. Could have been at night, or it could have been in the daytime. Or it could have been raining. Ever think about that? Like, I, I'm not saying that I, I, one of those three is correct, but it's, it's interesting when you start thinking about these uh, passages, like, I never think about, like, Jesus probably had days where he was stuck inside because of rain. Right? Like, Jesus probably had days where, where it was, like, blazing hot outside and, like, sweating like crazy, okay? Um, like, the, like normal life happened for, for the disciples. And, again, we see little tiny snippets of what happened, happened in Jesus' ministry. But I would love, and I, I'm looking forward to having the conversations about what actually happened in between those moments, around the campfires or stuck inside because of the rain or hanging out with family out during the Sabbath and just enjoying one another. Um, but anyways, that, that's beside the point. What is the point is, is they climb up on the roof with this paralytic, and then normally um, back then it was like a thatched roof, okay? Again, there's like stipulations like, well, it could have been thatched with uh, reeds, or it could have been like, and, and or the, another one was like that it had sod on top. It, it really doesn't matter. The point is, is that when you're thinking about a roof on today's house, that is not what it is, okay? It was something that could have been disassembled. It could have been tiles. It could have been sod. It could have been reeds. It, it could have been disassembled. Now, imagine yourself being Peter, hanging, right? More than likely it's at his house. Again, it's not completely specific that it is, but calling it Jesus' home, again, more than likely it was Peter's house, but that's beside the point. Um, but think about the owner of that house, right? You're hanging out, you're watching Jesus preach, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden you start feeling crumbles of roofing coming down on your head. Right? Like, imagine that. Imagine the people in that room that are just like like mesmerized by Jesus' teaching and then little particles start falling on their head and they're like, what is going on? Talk about disrupting a service. Like, think about that, being up and listening to Pastor Kenneth and all of a sudden somebody starts digging through the roof. Like, 
People would, people would take notice. And then, in addition to that, the person that owned that house, who knows what their reaction was? It could have been like, oh my gosh, like, they're ruining my property. We don't know. But the, and that's not really the point, but I'm just trying to help you guys envision, like, what's going on in this passage because they're digging through somebody's property. It's not their property. They're digging through somebody else's property. That's how committed they were. That's the point. That's how committed they were to get this guy to Jesus. They would stop at nothing, even digging a hole in somebody else's roof. Okay? And so Jesus sees their faith. And so um, if you look at James chapter 2, uh, we see a connection between works and faith that, 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 that James talks about that like, hey, show me your faith without works and I'm going to show you my faith with works. Okay, and so, so there's probably a connection also in the way that Jesus saw their faith and the actions that they were taking in order to bring this guy before him. Now, it could also be that Jesus possibly had like supernatural understanding and was able to see literally like spiritual, like the spiritual realities of faith. And you'll see here in a second that, that he kind of like, um, is able to understand what the fair, or the scribes are thinking. And so it could be that he had special revelation in that moment and he was actually able to know their thoughts. Or it could be that he just was very wise and insightful and that he was able to see um, or able to, uh, to understand what they were thinking in that moment. But now I'm jumping ahead of myself. So let's just keep rolling. So he sees their faith. Um, and then Jesus forgives the paralytic sins um, is the last one. Jesus forgives the paralytic sins. Okay. So this is when things get crazy, right? So he lowers the guy down. The guy's laying there. Says that he forgives his sins. And so you have to understand the tension in that moment. Like, think about what that would be like for a um, traditional Jewish person to hear. We've been studying Exodus and Leviticus um, in our Sunday morning. What was what what was the process in having sins forgiven? Just briefly, like really, really brief. Sacrifice. Who was the one that had to do that? Okay, so the priest was the one that sacrificed, and then who actually forgave the sins? Okay, so G- well, yes, Jesus does in this passage, but like in the Old Testament, who actually forgave the sins? God would be the one that actually forgave the sins. So this is the process that, that would have been in their minds, right? Now it's a little bit different. The sacrificial system was a tiny bit different in that day and age, but that doesn't change the fact that they saw that, that was an act of God and an act of God alone. So if somebody said, um, I forgive your sins, the claim that they were making is that they had the power that God had in forgiving sins. Okay. So now hold that tension, and this is what happens. It says, now some of the scribes were um, sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. That's a big word, blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these scribes, um, remember that the scribes are kind of like spiritual lawyers. Like they were really, really, really smart in the law, um, the Old Testament law. Um, and they were kind of like uh, um, the protectors of that law. And so when they heard Jesus say that, they naturally jumped to, well, he can't do that. Only God can do that. And so they're questioning these things in their heart. And they're saying like that this is blasphemy. Now, I had to look up the um, definition for blasphemy because I was like, how am I going to explain that to people? And then I like it. It's pretty straightforward, but this is um, one of the um, definitions that I found. The act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Okay, so the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. 
So they were saying that Jesus was basically disrespecting, like, backhanding God, okay, um, by forgiving sins himself. Does that make sense to you guys? And so, obviously, if they're interpreting it that way, obviously they're, they're going to have a problem with that because, because they were the protectors of the law and the protectors of Judaism. And so to have Jesus doing that and blaspheming, um, obviously they had to challenge it. Now, um, G, uh, okay, so... The next thing is, is that the scribes missed the sign due to the religious fog. So these these guys, like like they're already blinded by the religion. Okay, these guys are going to miss um, not only what Jesus is trying to show the crowd, um, but they're going to miss the the joy of um, of him actually healing the paralytic. Now he hasn't done that yet, um, but they're going to miss all this because they're stuck in the religious fog. Okay, now we can learn a lot from that because we can get there too. Where we totally like, like miss the point because we're too busy trying to check the boxes, dot the, the I's and cross the T's in our religion, in our activity. And so these guys, out of a goodness of heart, I think, um, were questioning Jesus, but they were totally missing the point. Absolutely missing the point. And so Jesus perceives that. Um, and because they missed the sign, they miss out on the joy and the one whom the sign points to. So Jesus is making a claim here, right? Like he's, he's highlighting again these signs that he's giving, whether it be through healing or through his teaching. He's showing them like, I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God. Okay? Um, but if, if the people weren't willing, yes. What was the last one? Yeah, the last one was, um, the scribes miss the sign due to religious fog. Okay, um, and so, so he's constantly giving signs that are pointing towards a greater reality. Um, something that, that, that you would miss if you weren't paying attention to, okay? And so uh, they miss it because of the religious fog. It would be like me driving out to Colorado and completely missing the sign, completely because of fog being all around it. Like, I don't even see it. I don't get to rejoice in it. I don't get to have fun. I'm just like driving to the middle of fog and say, well, Colorado must not be out here. I'm rolling back home. And then I get stuck in Kansas again, okay? All right, so... Um, so it would be like them just driving and blowing past the sign without even seeing it because of the religious fog. So this is Jesus' response. Okay? He, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? So he responds with, with a question. Now let's answer this question. Let's not jump ahead. Let's not just fill in the blank because we know the answer, okay? Really, which one would be easier? Okay, let's, let's just play this game for a second. Now, I'm not, I'm not claiming any type of divinity here, okay? But let's, I'm just out of illustration. Let's say that I come up to Jacob, and Jacob's like, got a broken arm or something, I don't know. Um, and I was to say to you guys, which would be easier for me to do or to say? Jacob, your sins are forgiven. Or Jacob, be healed. Uh huh. Okay. So, which would be easier to do? Yes. So it would be easier just to like haphazardly say it off, but that would be blaspheming, right? Because that would mean that Jesus is lying. So he's not doing that. So he is forgiving sins, right? But you're right. Yes, it would be easier to just say like your sins are forgiven than to heal him. But to do both of them, to forgive the sin and to heal that both of those are equally hard. 
You following me? Both of those require require God. Okay? Now, now follow me here because Jesus is setting them up and he's trying to show them that like, not only am I going to uh, uh, forgive his sins, but I'm going to heal him and I'm going to show you guys the truth in that. And so, um, Jesus sees their blinded heart and asks a question. Again, we don't know if this is like divine insight. Sometimes we see that Jesus has divine insight and sometimes it seems like that he's limited in his uh, knowledge in his human form. Okay, I'm not saying that Jesus is limited. Okay, hear me that. But um, because of the uh, divine like um, nature of him being 100% human and 100% God and like those two coexisting, that there's times that it seems like that he's limited in his knowledge. That doesn't mean that God's limited in his knowledge. He's all-knowing. Um, and it's really hard to describe like how that might actually like play out. And I'm not going to get into all that right now um, because it's kind of beside the point. Um, because the point was whether he had divine knowledge, that that's actually what they were thinking, or he had insight because he was, he was extremely wise and he knew that that would be what they were thinking. Um, he knew, regardless. And so he poses that question, um, and he asks, which is easier, to heal him or to forgive his sins? Both are impossible without God. So he's setting it up. Both are impossible without God. So, like, he, he's, he's creating a tension, Right? Because if he heals him, which he's about to, if he heals him, then he's making a point. Not only am I able to heal him, which requires God, and if it requires God, then that points to the fact that I am God, which points to the fact that I can forgive sins. You following me? Okay. So both are impossible without God. So let's see what uh, Jesus does. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority. Okay, let's pause there for a second. Son of Man. Um, it's a really, really, really interesting self-claim that Jesus makes. That's his favorite name that he uses for himself. He doesn't normally use Messiah. He doesn't normally use, like, Son of God. He uses the term Son of Man. Now, if you do a study of the Old Testament, of what that term actually meant in the Old Testament, it's interesting because sometimes it's, it's used and it's talking about a human being, and then sometimes it's used and it's talking about a divine being. And so, pretty cool, right? Like here Jesus is saying, Son of Man, and that's his faith. This is the first time he brings it up in Mark. That's the reason I'm uh, telling you guys about it. You'll see this coming up over and over again. It's interesting because he says, Son of Man, and it leaves that question for them to answer. Is this, does, am I using this term, Son of Man, as just a Son of Man, literally like a human being? Or am I using this term, Son of Man, as a divine being, like you see in the Old Testament? I love it. I think that it's so winsome in the way that Jesus uses this term. In addition to that, he probably didn't use Messiah because it had all sorts of connotations that we've talked about that they expect him to come in and to be a political um, hero instead of the Messiah that he was that was to take away the sins of all, all the world. But um, he probably didn't use it because of those political connotations. And then Son of God um, probably would have been just too straightforward. And there's a lot of messianic uh, secrecy like that we've talked about where Jesus sometimes tells people to just not tell what has happened. He sometimes um, isn't straightforward that, hey, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah. Um, but that, that he's allowing people to, to uh, have that revealed to them and to come to faith in that without him just straight up saying, like, yeah, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah. Like, if he d- had done that, he could have just come and said that one verse or maybe two verses and been done, right? Um, but he uses this term, Son of Man, um, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Um, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never, we, uh, we never saw anything like this. Yes? Just a question, was this on the Sabbath day, or 
More than likely not, no. Um, so if it was on the Sabbath day, and the reason I say that, um, if it was on the Sabbath day, because uh, we're going to see um, in different passages when he heals on the Sabbath, the scribes have issues with that. Yes, and Jesus does heal somebody on the Sabbath day and tells them to pick up their bed and walk, and um, and that uh, they have issues with that because it is the Sabbath and he wasn't allowed to do that. You're right, um, and so I from from what is shown in Mark that this probably wasn't on the Sabbath, okay, um, or they probably would have brought that up as an issue as well, but they don't. Um, okay, so uh, so the people get all excited. We've never seen anything like this. Yes. Why does he change healing why, on the Sabbath? I feel like God gave the rules of, you know, the Sabbath and whatnot. So uh-huh. I don't get why he was trying to change it. Oh, why he would heal on the Sabbath? Or why he was telling Jesus to change it. Or, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great point. And a lot of people were confused by that. In fact, the scribes were confused by that, and they, like, had issue with it because they were saying, like, you aren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. And so he... Um, he talks uh, to them in various places in the gospel about that and basically highlights and points to the reality that like, that God cares more about you as a person than he does about some religious law. In fact, he, he highlights that the Sabbath was given to people as a gift. And so, so then he brings up, like, if one of you guys has an animal and it falls into a hole on the Sabbath, will you not pull it out of the hole? Of course. And so he was just highlighting how, like, how ridiculous it is that you would pull that animal out of the hole, even though that would be work, but you're going to look out for the best of that animal, and yet this person comes in, why shouldn't they be healed on the Sabbath? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, um, so again, he, he constantly points things towards the heart and towards the heart of God as opposed to, like, checking the list and saying, like, but he's not breaking the Sabbath in that because the Sabbath was intended for good and it was intended for a, as a gift to people. Um, but if it's causing harm to people... By keeping the Sabbath, then it's defeating the purpose. Does that make sense? Okay. By keeping the Sabbath in the sense that, like, crossing the T's and dotting every single I. And again, remember that a lot of these uh, religious rules and laws, um, they set up rules and laws and rules and laws and rules and laws around that. So some of them um, could have been, like, just, like, whatever um, uh, law system they set up around it, and, and it's not even, like, really what God intended in the first place. So it'd be interesting to kind of parse that apart. Maybe we'll do that next time the Sabbath comes up. Okay. Thank you for the question. That was good. All right. So Jesus healing the paralytic points as a sign to a larger reality. So which is easier, to heal him or to forgive his sins? I, now, if you don't believe that I forgave his sins, let me just show you by healing him that if it takes God to forgive his sins and it takes God to heal him, I'm going to heal him, which points to the reality that I am God. Right? But these uh, scribes, miss the sign. They miss it. Totally miss it. Like They just blow right past it. The religious fog is blinding them to see who Jesus actually is. Now, there's also another group of people here. And you see that, that these, um, these people get really excited. And they're like, we've never seen anything like this. Like, I love it because like we're the same way um, in our culture still. Like, we like to be entertained. We like to be oohed and awed. I mean, anybody like to watch magicians? I do, okay? Like, it's kind of like, how do you do that? Okay? Um, but... Uh, we can, we can miss the point or miss the destination, miss Jesus behind the sign um, by paying too much attention to the sign. 
That would be like me driving to Colorado, getting excited about the sign, taking a picture with the sign, and coming back home and saying, I saw the Colorado sign. Hooray! It's the best sign I've ever seen. Wow. Never seen anything like it. And then you would look at me like what I, at the beginning, it's like, what? Like, it would be just ridiculous. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, you didn't go into Colorado? You didn't see Colorado? No. I was just excited about the sign. And so we'll see that there's a lot of people in Scripture that um, follow Jesus around looking for signs or to have their bellies filled up because he's feeding people. Like, there's a lot of people that were missing it. Like, they were just there for the show. And I'm not judging them. There were also people that were coming to genuine faith in Jesus, and I'm not going across the board that everybody in that house that got excited about it didn't have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. But there were a lot of people there. In fact, we see it throughout the Gospels that Capernaum, a lot of times Jesus like has a hard time with them because they don't come to genuine faith oftentimes. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just excited about the signs. Um, and he constantly highlights that. Um, so Jesus healing the paralytic um, points to the larger reality. And this is the larger reality. God is at work. Not me. This is Jesus talking. I am God. Believe. You cannot deny that God is at work because I just had this dude rise up off his bed and walk home. You cannot deny that God is at work because if I did that, then, then God's at work and so I can forgive sins. And so, so the, the question is still laying out there. I'm using the term son of man. Will you believe that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, or will you not? Like, here's a sign. Colorado's in front of you. Are you going to get hung up on the sign? Are you going to get excited about the sign? Are you just going to blow past the sign because you're too busy in the religious fog to even see the sign? Like, it's left in your hands. It's left up to you to choose. So... The application points for us is that which of these people, I have two questions, which of these people, um, or two things, which of these people uh, do you most relate with, right? The scribes, the ones that just blow past um, the signs, when you read the scriptures and you see what Jesus is doing, you just blow right past them, because the religious fog, you're just too busy being religious, and you don't really see that Jesus wants a relationship with you. Do you relate with the crowds? Where you just come and you think that like it's all about the the being oohed and awed and and being entertained at church, and that God's just kind of like this icing on the cake that you're building your life around. Or do you relate with the four men and the paralytic, and possibly some more in the crowd there? We don't know; it doesn't say anything about them. But the four men and the paralytic, where you have genuine faith that Jesus looks at and he sees your faith, and you see Jesus for who he is. That that the signs are awesome but they point to Jesus. And so if I get hung up on the sign and get excited about the sign or don't even see the sign, then like I'm missing the point. So our goal should be to be like these four men um, in the paralytic where we actually see Jesus. And then the s- second thing is, is don't miss the destination for the sign. Don't drive to Colorado, look at the sign, get excited about it and come home. You've got to go past the sign to find Colorado. And so Jesus, time and time again, is giving signs pointing to him, pointing beyond it, uh, what that sign is to a greater reality, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that it's come near to us, that he is the incarnate God, and that he is dwelling among us, and he's, he is the Messiah that's going to take away the sins of the world, and it's up to us to choose whether to believe that or to not believe that.
To believe that He's the Son of God, the Messiah, or to not believe that. And so my encouragement to you guys is that if you've never seen Jesus, seen Jesus, and believed in Him, then I, I encourage you to come and talk to me about that. Um, I also encourage you guys that, that if you have seen Jesus, um, but sometimes maybe He's a little bit hazy because of the religious fog, like to try to sift through that. To, to, to spend some time alone um, at home maybe, or if you enjoy being outside to go, go somewhere that's beautiful, and spend some time this week with Jesus. Um, just you and Him. Just sitting in His presence. So that He can, he can show Himself to you. And that that, that that religious fog can begin to lift a little bit. It's easy to get, get stuck in that. Good grief. I'm, so I'm like the youth pastor, right? And it's like super easy for me to get stuck in that religious fog. Because, because I, I unfortunately know how to cross the T's and dot the I's and check the boxes because I've been doing it for a really long time. But ultimately that's not, that if I'm doing that, like I'm, I'm missing such a beautiful and awesome gift of being in communion and close relationship with Jesus Christ. That He wants that with us. And so, um, that's the invitation that He has out there. So we look at the Gospels, we see these stories, Jesus healing, Jesus, Jesus casting out paralytics. There's signs pointing to something greater. So the question is, what do you see in those signs? And where do they lead you to? Do you see the sign? Are you just excited about the sign? Are you looking forward to whatever that sign is looking towards? Let me pray for us and then um, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Um, I pray, Lord, that you will bless um, these students. Um, And as we uh, contemplate uh, just the awesomeness of you um, giving us Uh, the privilege of entering into your presence, um, that you've made a way for us to be in right relationship with you, God, that we would not take that for granted. God, I pray that that this uh, week that we would have an extra wonder in our hearts for the things that you've done, not only in the scriptures, but for us personally. Jesus, I thank you that you saw people, that you saw this paralytic that you used um, this this moment to to teach those people in that house. That you used this moment to reveal parts of who you were. Jesus, I pray that you would bring us um, closer and closer to you. That we would not miss you for the signs or because of the religious fog. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We pray that you will continue to be glorified in everything that we do in the student ministry. In Jesus' name. Amen.